All right, all right. Hey, welcome. Glad that you're here in one of our six physical locations, or maybe you're here watching online. My name is Matt, and again, so excited to be with you as we continue a summer sermon series called Wow. Hey, before we get to that, I just want to remind everyone, if you're in one of our six physical locations, then there's a Next Step card in your seat, near your seat, in the seat back in front of you. Great way to communicate with us. Next steps, information, prayer needs, anything we can do to serve you, help get you information, help you take a step in your journey with King Jesus. If you're watching online, you can message. There's a pastor that will be attentive to that, or you can use the chat or something of that equivalent to that, depending on which platform you're looking at us on, and we'll be happy to serve you that way. So we're in the middle of this series that we began with all summer, and it's really just finding truths, stories, insights in Scripture that cause us to just go, wow. And, and that's like a, a statement of amazement. And we're just digging deep about what's so amazing, about what's so wow about that truth, about that insight. So that's kind of what we're dealing with. Let me pray and then we'll get rolling. All right, God, just find us receptive this uh, weekend to you, to your word, to your truth. I'm just going to pray, God, for all of us. We need your help to understand this truth, to apply this truth, and God, just to leave here somewhat different than when we came in. God, let us all be expectant right now. Find us humble right now. Find us teachable right now as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So when I was in high school, used to kind of go horseback riding. Had some, my, my dad had some horses and, you know, just would ride in pastures, would ride in mountain or mountain on the hills of, of northwest Georgia. And just one of the greatest things I've ever, 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 ever done, real relaxing. But one trip, we were, we were going, I was with like two or three other horses, and we were just kind of going up and down this ridge. And I, the horse in front of me, I'm watching it, and I literally see something like come up out of the brush at this horse, right? And here's what it was. This is a copperhead snake, right? I don't even know if you can see that, right? I mean, that's how camouflaged those things can be. And, you know, being red-blooded teenage boys, we got off our horse and we played with the snake and eventually killed the snake, probably one decision away from stupid, an example in my life. But it's just a reminder that there's, there's things out there that we don't know are out there that can be dangerous. And I, and I know, you know, I talk about this for the last 20 years. Shark week's coming up. It's the week of July. So here we go. We got a, you know, a paddle border and we've got a shark and they're unaware of the shark. And it just illustrates something that what we'll call the danger of unseen dangers. That we sort of understand that intuitively. We understand there's things out there that are dangerous. We can't see viruses. We can't see bacteria, but we know what they can do. They make us sick. They can be even deadly. We know that there's the danger of unseen dangers, and I'm going to give it a name just to help us remember, and you're familiar with this term, especially if you've been a driver. It's like blind spots, right? They're dangerous things, dangerous things we don't always see, but that we need to take into account. Dangerous things we see or don't always see, but we need to take into account. And you know that we do this intuitively or we do this with some help in certain areas. Like if you're driving, a lot of cars now have these mirrors that kind of eliminate most of the blind spots or put a light now on if there's a car in your blind spot. You know you know there's unseen dangers like when you go out in certain kinds of weather. That's why you say wear a coat. That's why you, you know, dress appropriately. You know if you're around the water, some people like, 
man, we got to wear a life jacket. So we're aware of this in some areas of our lives. But the wild truth that we're going to hit on this weekend are blind spots in areas we don't often think we have blind spots. Blind spots in areas that most of us, when we go around our lives, we're not actively taking countermeasures, if you will, against these blind spots. Like you, if you're in danger in the water, you know, you need a boat or you need a life jacket or you need a lifeguard. If you go walking in the woods, most of us are somewhat cognizant of whether it's poison oak, poison ivy, or a poisonous snake, that there's unseen dangers we need to be attentive to. But what we're going to see in the, the wild part of this scripture is there's other unseen dangers that God would have us pay attention to. And we're going to get introduced to this and see this kind of work itself out in a somewhat famous Bible story. It's this story of these two brothers, kind of the first two brothers in creation, Cain and Abel. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up, turn them on, and or follow along with me on the screen as we get into Genesis chapter 4 and trying to understand an unseen danger that for probably most of us we don't understand or we don't take into account. So let's go into the Word of God. The man, that's Adam, was intimate with his wife Eve. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I've had a male child with the Lord's help. And she also gave birth to his brother Abel. So we got two, bro two brothers, two boys, Cain and Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. And in the course of time, Cain presented some of, his, some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now, if we just stopped right there and said, hey, how does this look? The only thing that's really different is they'd have different professions. One of them has herds or has livestock. One of them grows things from the ground. They have different professions or different careers. They both make an offering. So we would say, man, these are, these are two good brothers. They go to church. They give a little bit in the offering. They've got steady jobs. All is right, right? Everything's good. And, and we could just end it there, and then we could go on to the next story in Genesis and kind of keep finding out how we get to the nation of Israel. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Something comes out. And the next verse starts to unpack it. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but did, he did not have a regard for Cain and his offering. And Cain was furious. And he looked despondent. In fact, this, this little Hebrew word or Hebrew expression would almost say like his face fell, like he looked depressed. So for some reason, God has regard for what Abel gave. He gave some of the firstborn and not what Cain gave. He gave some of the produce or what the land or what his, uh, his crops produced. So if we get underneath that, we see that there's something going on that we could not see perhaps in just the first four verses. There's a blind spot that's something going on with Cain, his heart or his offering. There's some reason there. So when we stop and think, we think, why? Why do people give? Why do people give? Whether it's spiritually speaking or you give to a nonprofit or you give to an organization. I mean, some people give, you know, to maybe alleviate guilt. Some people give to, to express gratitude. Some people give as an act, maybe because, man, I'm, I'm entrusting you with my, this money. I'm entrusting this gift to you. So, so give, people give for different reasons. And, and it seems like Cain is giving for something that's maybe uh, for a reason that's not as pure or not as noteworthy or not as holistic. That Cain is maybe giving in order to get something from God. 
Maybe Cain is giving to, in order to get, uh, put God in his debt. And, and this becomes clear when we go to the New Testament. The New Testament says this, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. It's by faith. Now, what does that mean? So you kind of got to put yourself in an agricultural economy. Cain, or Abel gave, it said, the firstborn of all of his. So, right, so, let's, so he's got all these sheep or all these cattle, and he gives the firstborn. Now, here, here's why that's an act of faith. Unlike us, us today, we kind of all get paid in lump sum, right? Back then, you, you'd have a firstborn, and then you'd have a second, and you'd have a third, but you didn't know how would the second be, how would the third be, how would the fourth be. So when you gave the firstborn, you were saying, God, I'm giving you the first, and the only thing I got right now, trusting God that there'll be a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth on up to the tenth, right? So, it, so the firstborn is saying, God, I don't know if anything else is coming, but out of gratitude and independence and in faith in you, God, I'm giving back to you what you've given to me. Whereas with Cain, it was more like, man, this is everything I've got. I've got a good crop. So instead of giving God, a le- you know, instead of giving God the first, he gives God some of what was left, right? And, and so that's what kind of aroused God to call Cain out. And it's really what we would say is this: the unseen danger, the blind spot, is Cain's heart condition. And the Cain's heart condition was not a disposition to trust God. Cain's heart condition was not a disposition to give God the best or to give God the first. And so God calls him out, so to speak, and doesn't have regard or doesn't accept or doesn't value Cain's offering. And this is kind of scary for you and I. Because what do we value so much in culture, in our culture? We value appearances. We value how it looks. And verses 1 through 4, 1 through 4 and a half, Cain looks good, Abel looks good. Two guys, steady job. Two guys, believe in God. Two guys, giving an offering. Two guys, going about their business. And God stops and says, no, no, there's a blind spot here. There's a blind spot in the heart. And most of us, we're not like accustomed to looking at our heart. I mean, people say, man, how you doing? Like, we're fine. How you really doing? I'm fine. All's good. We don't like to go there. We don't like to look there. And it seems like that's where God is looking. How's your heart? And is your heart inclined to trust God, to trust God completely and relentlessly? And so God comes now to Cain, and here's what he says to Cain. He says, why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? So God's saying, look, you know, we we sometimes think, man, I feel the way I feel, and I'm entitled to the way I feel. God's like, you have no reason to be furious. You have no reason to be despondent. If you do what is right, which is by faith or trust in God, won't you be accepted? Now, let me explain something, okay? Whenever God asks us a question, it's not God looking for information. It's not that God doesn't know the answer. He's trying to get us to look inside our heart. He's trying to reveal something to us that we're not seeing, that we're not aware of, we're blind to. It's the hidden copperhead. It's the great white when everybody thinks everything's hunky-dory in the water, right? And so God says, why are you furious? You You don't have a reason to be furious. Why are you despondent? You don't have a reason to be despondent because if you operate by faith, you'll be accepted. And then he, God, gives what I think is one of the most powerful images in all of Scripture. It's born of his love for us. It's born of his desire for us to experience and to have the best. Here's what he says. 
But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. And he uses this analogy of crouching, like a camouflaged tiger or or lion or a hidden copperhead lurking in the leaves or a shark that's underneath the surface ready to strike. He says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. It wants you. It doesn't just want you to have, do a, make a, have an oops. It doesn't just want you to have a mistake. It wants to have you, but you, Cain, must rule over it. You must rule over it. So this image of this crouching sin or this crouching thing is like it's ready to strike, but, but when it's crouching, it's hidden. We're not aware that it's there. We're not aware that there is a danger. And this begins to kind of show us something about sin. Because if you're like me, a lot of times we think of sin as just the bad stuff that people notice or that people see. We think of sin as the bad stuff that would bring shame to us or the bad stuff that, you know, man, this, I don't do those bad things. And every kind of culture and everything about society has got like, you know, four or five, ten things. And as long as you don't do those four or five, ten things, man, you're a pretty good person. But God puts the imagery as, it, as sin as something that's hidden. Sin is something that's potent but not recognized. Sin is something that we're blind to like a snake in the leaves like a shark under the deep like a tiger ready to pounce but hiding from its prey and from that we learn something about the nature of sin that that sin is a hidden presence it's a hidden presence that there's not a single person that's listening to me this weekend that God could not say what he said to Cain too that if you're not aware of the dangers of sin, and it's not the sin out there, it's the sin in here. It's even harder to swallow, right? But it's crouching, it's present, it's potent, and it's powerful. And this sin has a predatory presence. Predatory, it wants to prey on us. It wants to rob. It wants to take. It wants to choke life. It wants to steal, right? It's predatory and it's ambitious. Do you know that, you know, a lot of times we think, man, I sinned last night or I sinned in that decision, but sin is ambitious. It wants us. It it doesn't just want a bad decision on a Friday night or a mistake and an oops in what you said to that person over social media. Sin takes on a presence of its own. And you ever notice that one sin often leads to another and that one, oh, I, I just made an oops leads to another and another and another because sin crouching, hidden, predatory, and ambitious for us. And so the wild truth that struck me in just reading this very familiar passage is this. There is a fact of sin in and around us that must be factored into our lives. And I just want us to stop and think for a second. When's the last time, you know, we walk into a situation like, man, I wonder how the sin in me could attack me. I'm about to get married. How, how could the sin in me affect my marriage? Most couples are blind to that. You're going to take a new job. You're going off to college. You're about to do something. The sin in me, when's the last time we even factored that in to our preparation? We might be aware maybe of the sin in others more than we're aware of the sin in ourselves. But the wow factor that God's saying is, hey, I love you. 
But there's something in you and around you that's crouching, that wants to have you and take over your life. And you need to factor that in into whatever you do next, Cain. Cain, this isn't so much about the, about the offering. It's more about the heart and the dangers that live in your heart. And, and the wow for me is like, I was thinking, man, I, I, I sometimes, you know, maybe I overestimate how good I think I am. I'm more self-righteous. Or, or I, I'm naive or I'm ignorant. But when's the last time we thought about that inside of us is a hidden copperhead, a shark beneath the surface, a crouching presence that wants to take something from us? And the beautiful thing about God, now a lot of people don't interpret it this way, but God comes to Cain in love as a warning. It's an act of love for God to say that. We want God to say things like this, if it feels good, do it. We want God to say things like this, if nobody finds out, it's okay. We want God to say things like, hey man, you're not as bad as other people are. I'm pretty good with you. We want God to wink and nod, but he loves us too much. And the Holy Spirit put this story in the Bible to show the love of God as a warning to Cain. And I think there's a little bit of Cain in all of us. And so the question for us is not if we have a blind spot, but where is it? Where is it? And then you can go a step further and say, then what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? The crouching presence of sin. And we're blind to it often. So back to Cain. Does Cain listen to what God says? So Cain says to his brother, Abel. Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. It's an ambitious presence. What started as a religious exercise, I'm going to give an offering, now has birthed into full-fledged premeditated murder. Why? Because sin is ambitious. It's a predatory presence, hidden, predatory, and ambitious for us. And so... God approaches Cain, and he asks a question, not because God is looking for information. He said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper, or am I my brother's, depending on your translation, am I my brother's guardian? Cain's like, I I don't know where Abel is. Now he's lying to an omniscient, which means all-knowing. He's lying to an omniscient God. And this kind of shows us some things about our blind spots. The first thing is that, it's, that blind spots are bigger and deeper than our behaviors. Bigger and deeper than our behaviors. It's like a lot of us, you know, we've heard, hey, you know, reserve sex for marriage. Don't get drunk. Don't do bad drugs. Don't say bad words. You know, don't mistreat people. And we focus on the behavior. What God is saying, hey, there's something in your heart that's, gonna, that's a root that will manifest in your behavior. So this is not about behavior management. Second thing is, these blind spots become a threat to ourselves and to others. A threat to ourselves and, our, and, and to others. Sometimes you don't know the size of the crouching animal inside of you until you get close to another person. And you realize, hey, your temper, hey, your bitterness, it's shrapnel to the people around you. Hey, you don't realize it, but your lack of a forgiving spirit is shrapnel to your kids. 
Sometimes you don't realize that, hey, what you call workaholic, what you call, what you call pursuing your career, that's actually killing your family because it's an ambitious, predatory presence. And then here's the other one. God confronts Cain, and Cain lies. So another way you can identify or understand blind spots is when confronted, rationalization, defensiveness, and or denial are common responses. In fact, I, I've discovered whenever I, see, I seek to rationalize a, a negative or a sinful behavior, be defensive about it or in denial of it, that's because someone has seen my blind spot. And I don't want people to see the blind spot. Even if I'm aware of it, right, I've rationalized it or I want to cover it up. And so when God calls it out, Cain's like, no, I'm not my brother's guardian. I'm not my brother's keeper. But God, being relentless in his pursuit of us, comes back to Cain and he says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Very significant statement that the blood of, the blood of Abel cries out to God. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood that you have shed. So God deals out a punishment and then Cain answers and says, my punishment is too great to bear. And God responds back to him and says, okay, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. And this is crazy, awesome, incredible stuff because what this ending does is it points us to God's grace and protection and provision for Cain. And it points us to the role that blood has in, in, the, in the economy of God. And so the ending actually foreshadows the eventual victory over the crouching sin. So the beautiful thing for all of us is this. Not that we just leave here more aware of the predator of sin that lives in us and operates around us. The, the beauty of this story is that we're not supposed to leave here and say, like, okay, yes, let's, not, let's be aware. We've got sin that has to be factored in. I need to know how the crouching snake or tiger or shark inside of me is going to come out and potentially hurt my wife, hurt my kids, hurt my church, hurt my small group, hurt the people I work with, whatever. I need to know how that crouching tiger is going to try to take over my life, take over God's will for me, take over God's plans for me. I've got to have that level of humble humility and self-awareness, but I've also got to know how God has provided for me in the midst of this battle with the crouching sin in me. So let's notice a couple of things. Injustice gets God's attention. The blood of Abel cried out to God. It's like God notices when injustice occurs, and he's a just God. And we would say one of the character traits of God is that he's just. But we also see this about God, that he is gracious and merciful because he comes to a murderer and offers provision. He talks and he asks Cain a question. He doesn't give up on Cain just because Cain committed the sin, just because Cain wasn't attentive. And so this points us to something. This shows us something about God. And it's powerful and it's amazing because God doesn't want Cain to be mastered by this sin. This story points us to Jesus. And we go back to, to, to Hebrews, and the author of Hebrews does something powerful. He says, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, 
and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. So this entire story of Cain and Abel is then called back upon in the New Testament to talk about something about Jesus and to point us to something about Christ. You see, so Jesus, in a way, is like Abel. Jesus comes along and is a man of faith. Jesus comes along and he's better and he's more beautiful than Abel. Jesus comes along and he is is a man of faith. He's a man that walks with God, but he too is killed by the self-righteous. He too is killed by the religious. He too is killed by the Cains of the first century. And Jesus' blood was spilled. And the Bible says this blood says better things than the blood of Abel. So it comes and it doesn't, it cries out to God in a different way, where it's a new covenant. The blood of Abel cried out to God because of injustice. The blood of Jesus cries out to God as satisfaction for God's justice. Because see, the tension here in the story is this how can a loving, gracious, merciful God and a just God? Forgive sinners. How can he do that? How can God do that? Because if he just forgives sin, wink, wink, nod, nod, it's all going to be okay. He's not just. So he has to make provision. And so the blood of Jesus is the satisfaction of God's justice. So instead of me being held accountable For my sins, my faith in Jesus places that upon Christ and his blood calls out to God the Father and demonstrates God's justice and demonstrates my forgiveness. And so the beautiful thing about this entire story is this. God, once you have put your faith and trust in God, God sees that sacrifice of Jesus and the blood of Jesus cries out to him saying, I cannot condemn Matt Evans. I cannot condemn a brother or sister of faith because that would be unjust for God to do because he's already, he's already satisfied his justice with Jesus and with this new covenant. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 says it this way, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. And why doesn't it say merciful? Why doesn't it say he's faithful and gracious? Why does it say he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Because God's justice was satisfied by the blood of Jesus. Abel's blood cried out for injustice. The blood of Jesus cries out and says, I have paid for your sins. I've paid for your sins. And I've paid for your sins. And so in a sense, Jesus intercedes for us, mediates this new covenant for us. And so when Matt Evans sins and I feel condemned and I feel no good, Jesus is is metaphorically able to say to God the Father, Father, I have satisfied your justice. You can't condemn me. Matt Evans, because my justice has been satisfied, it would be unjust to require two payments for Matt's sin, because Jesus is the better payment, the only payment, and the sufficient payment. So that's why in Romans 8, we can say what? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because he's faithful and just when our faith is in him. So so here's the question. Here's the question. Have you ever just been affected at your core by the infallible justice of God and his amazing grace? Because I'm convinced. 
I'm convinced. You can either let God live in your life or sin live in your life. But not both. And and when God is in your life and you have a deep and growing sense of how amazing his grace is, you see it in the story, and how infallible his justice is and how sure his justice is, and God can't condemn, won't condemn because he condemns sin in his son Jesus, then that has the effect of helping us overcome the power of sin, which is God's first desire, right? Cain, 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 there's a crouching tiger for you. There's a hidden snake for you, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it, which is why Paul then comes back and says, sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but you're under grace And the beautiful thing about this entire story and the way it points to Jesus Christ is the power of the gospel is greater than the power of crouching sins. And when the gospel is apprehended and tasted and understood, and that's why I say you never graduate from the gospel. You have a sin problem? No, you have a gospel problem. Because when you understand how the justice of God has been satisfied on the cross instead of us and for us. When you understand the depth of the love of the gospel, the depth of God's grace, then guess what? It's hard for sin to rule because why would I seek to hurt the one who loves me most, who loves me best, and who loves me forever? Why would I seek to throw the justice of God back in his face? Why would I seek to reject God's amazing grace? So I'll I'll ask it again. Have you been affected by the infallible justice of God? Do you know God, if you're a Christ follower, God can't, won't condemn you? Do you understand that? Because his justice has been met once for all on the cross of Calvary. The power of the gospel is greater than the power of those crouching sins. Second question. Who in your life is helping you fight sin and remember the gospel of Jesus Christ? One of the reasons, not the only reason, one of the reasons God creates the church is not just so we can come and say, hey, I went to church, but one of the reasons God puts us in community puts us with people who know us best is because we can help each other fight sin. We can help each other. Hey, you've got a blind spot there. And because we're operating with grace and love and mercy, because we're loving as Jesus has loved us, when we talk to each other about our sins, we're not threatened because we're talking to each other in love and we want the best for each other. So who in your life is helping you fight sin and remember the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I know, you know, we've all got news, weather, and sports friends. We've all got, hey, what's going on, friends? And we can tell about our families. And we can tell about, you know, hey, this is going on at work. But who in your, this is a vision for the community of Jesus. This is a vision for church. This is a vision that God puts people around you who can see things about you you can't see or I can't see. And they love us so much, the same way God loves us so much, that they become the voice of God asking questions for us. Who's asking questions? Who in our life is helping us fight sin? And then remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. The last question is this. How aware are you of how deep and sure God's love is? 
Because when we understand the security that we have in Christ, when we understand the love that God has for us in the gospel, there's an unshakableness, there's a steadfastness, there's a certainty to our steps and a certainty to our lives so that we can walk in confidence even though the crouching predator lurks. And then here's the beautiful thing, okay? Last thing. God's love and justice are not hidden, but they're on full display on the cross. God has not camouflaged the cross. God has not hidden the cross. He put his son on display, a bloodied mess, and that blood cries out and speaks of God's justice and love. And just like God marked Cain, and he marked him in saying he's untouchable, here's my question. Has God marked you? Has God marked you because you've said yes to him? You've put your faith and trust in him. You've stood in awe at the foot of the cross and marveled at love and grace and justice and marveled at what God has done. Listen, if you have never, ever allowed the blood of Jesus to mark you to satisfy God's punishment, to satisfy God's righteous anger, to mark you. If you've never tasted that, understood that, and this weekend you hear God saying, today is the day to allow me to become your Savior, allow me to become your King, to understand that you are forever loved and never condemned, to begin to receive that kind of love, I just want you to say yes. I want you to take out a next step card and turn it in. I want you to go have a conversation with a pastor in the lobby or the Connect Here area. I want you to put something in the comment section online. This is the greatest thing that could ever happen to us is we could be marked by the love, the grace, and the justice of God as displayed in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Some of you are saying, yeah, Matt, I've done that. Is it affecting you right now? Has it become stale? Because it's easy. Oh, yeah, Jesus died for me. Let me move on. Tell me, help me with my marriage. Help me with my job. Help me with the economy. Help me with your gas, man. Help me with gas prices. You can never let the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, can never let that grow old, stale, too familiar, and you can never take it for granted. Praise God for it. Ask God to help deepen our affection and our appreciation for what he's done in the gospel. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's pray. God, I I just want to ask your spirit to do something right now. Give us just a sight, vision of Christ on the cross right now. A historical fact that a perfect God-man died. He was sinless like Abel in the story. He was better than Abel. 
and his blood cries out in a more powerful and potent way. His blood cries out to exclaim God's justice has been proven. God's justice has been satisfied. His blood cries out to say, I have, God, you want to be a father of all. His blood cries out in amazing grace and mercy. And God, I'm just asking right now that if there's someone here listening this weekend that needs and wants and you're speaking to them to put their faith in Jesus Christ, they would just say yes. God, there's probably some people listening to me, and they probably think they were saved. But you're showing them right now they have never understood the gospel and the blood of Jesus until this moment. And you're inviting them to give you the steering wheel of their lives. I pray they say yes right now. And then, God, there's a whole host of people. And we need to say we're sorry because we wear crosses around our neck or T-shirts, but our hearts maybe aren't as marked as potently or significantly as they should be, and it's grown a little stale. Holy Spirit, reignite us this weekend to stand in awe of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus in my place. Jesus instead of me. Jesus' blood satisfying the holy, perfect justice of God. Jesus' blood demonstrating the incredible love that, God, you had, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Jesus died for Matt. Jesus died for, put your name in that blank right now. And for that, God, we worship you, we praise you, we want to obey you, And we want to follow you with all our heart for all of our days. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.